If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers, and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Today I'd like to introduce you to Michelle Strapp. Michelle's a Level 3 show jumping specialist coach. She's ridden, trained, competed up to Grand Prix in show jumping and also ridden in World Cup qualifiers. How are you today, Michelle? I'm very good, thank you. Good, good. Very good. Michelle, we're going to start off with your favourite quote. Hmm, okay, well, there's been many quotes that have led me to my philosophies in coaching and also my philosophies in life. But I think the one that's really stuck to me the most and helps me with coaching is to take negative chatter out of your life. Okay, cool. It's very destructive when you start having negative chatter. Yep. Give me an example of how it's actually influenced you as a coach or rider. Tell me about a time when you might have had negative chatter in your life and you've been able to take it out. Look, I think there's many times when you will make a mistake in the ring and you don't forgive yourself, so you become hard on yourself and you repeat that chatter in your mind over the night and that certainly affects your performance the next day. Okay. And also my students, when you're coaching them, they will start to have negative chatter and it's something that I teach them to be able to just stop stop that chatter. You have to actually learn to personally stop it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And focus on what you can do rather than what you can't do? Totally, to what you can improve on. I mean, mm-hmm. we all make mistakes. Sure. And if to be successful at anything you do, you will make mistakes mm-hmm. and you've got to learn from your mistakes. If you don't make mistakes, then you're not really having a go. So it's, it's forgiving yourself and learning how to deal with that. It makes a massive difference to a competitive person as well as your own life. Sure, sure. No, that was great. All right, Michelle, Tell us a bit about how you started with horses. We, we want to know because people come from different backgrounds and it's just to give us an idea of the different types of backgrounds that people come from. Well, I'm actually English, so I learned to ride in England. I was with a family that were totally non-horsey, <laughs> not financial whatsoever, and there was an old riding school up in the corner when I was about nine. So I used to secretly go and jump on her horses when she wasn't there as a nine-year-old <laughs> until okay. one day I was caught. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I rode for her eventually. So I rode her show jumping ponies and did the principle of games and, and hunting for her on ponies and breaking ponies in for her until I was 14. So I was basically at her barn. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone's read the old books, Jill's Gymkhana. Well, that was my life. It was perfect. <laughs> So that's where I started and then I came to Australia when I was 14. It was very kind of the owner of the riding school to have someone that's, you know, obviously doing the wrong thing by getting in (laughs) and riding the ponies when she wasn't there, but it was kind of her then to have you then going on and competing and and helping her with her horses. 
Yes, I was just sitting on them in the paddock while they were eating hay. Very yep. dangerous, very yes. dangerous. Yes, And I can tell you she was a very, very hard schoolmaster, so she certainly let me pay for it. So <laughs> I certainly learned my lesson. Yep, yep. <laughs> I looked at a YouTube video just on my Facebook, you know, as it happens, and just someone who was patting a horse over the fence and then decided to get on it. Well, you know, you knew it was going to end badly, but, yeah, he ended up in the mud and badly and quite humble, yeah. He was happy for a minute or two while the horse walked away and then when the horse started to trot and had a little bit of a hump up, yep, he was off. (laughs) Yes, yes, I was very naughty. (laughs) Okay. Now, going from – so you came to Australia when you were, what, 15, 14? 14, 14. Yep, yep. And then what happened then in Australia? Did you – were you able to keep going with horses or – I was in a situation where I had a very small amount of money to go and buy one and I bought one off a gentleman that became a very big influence in my life in many ways, a mentor as well as I rode for him and we eventually actually ended up together Mm -hmm. in a partnership with horses. Mm -hmm. And when I bought the horse, it took us about four hours to catch it (laughs) and I actually had nowhere to keep it. I'd actually found a place in a paddock behind a factory and actually asked the gentleman nicely if he would let me keep it there mm-hmm. and he did and then I joined the Mentone Pony Club mm-hmm. and again I was very fortunate to have the help from a guy called Harry Stanton which many people might know and he used to um, take me to the pony club shows in his truck yep. and I became a part of the team and went into the eventing at the state championships and the games and the show jumping teams and then eventually this gentleman who I bought the horse from saw the horse winning everything and he couldn't believe that horse was actually ended up being successful so he asked me he dropped in asked if would I like to ride horses for him oh that's good and that was yes and that was the start of a fantastic career so mm-hmm. I've been very lucky I've sort of doors have opened for me for some reason so I've just been a very lucky journey but you've gone through the doors too you know, well, yes, it's, it's not just having the doors open, it's actually taking mm. taking advantage, putting the work in and going through the doors. And if the first riding school owner was a hard taskmaster, some people wouldn't have coped with that and wouldn't have kept going back. No, she was, a, she was very hard, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> now, around that time, well, when did you start to have a career or did that just evolve into a career? How did that work? Well, then by about 17, I was competing at all the EA shows. Mm-hmm and had a team of about three or four horses, and basically I was full-time then. I was probably full-time by the age of 16. So I was full-time into the career, riding six to ten horses a day, competing every weekend, and I don't think it ever stopped. It Mm -hmm. just, from there on, it just, you know, sort of rode more and more, and my career got bigger and bigger and bigger. Yep. So, Michelle, you teach a lot of young riders now. If they're looking at having a career in the horse industry, what sort of core skills would you have? You know, I mean, you obviously had the determination – and I suppose the resilient, you know, to go through those doors to stick with it. But what would you say that the core skills are to commence in the career? Look, I think, as again, to be successful in anything, you have to have a certain amount of determination and work ethic and determined to do something that other people won't do. Yes. It's not an easy journey in anything. It does it's whether it's this or anything yep. to actually yep. reach the top. Yep. And this is a hardworking industry and you also have to have advanced skills to be dealing with an animal as well I think for someone to be successful and they don't have financial backing Mm -hmm. to get to the highest level then they're going to have to become very good trainers of horses you know they're going to have to be able to produce horses because that is where 
business is mm. for them to be able to sustain themselves in the industry. Yep. And I think that they've got to be able to train horses well to actually become good coaches as well. Because it comes hard, you know, sometimes you've got a horse who might be a rising talent, who might be going very well. And as far as your career goes, it might be the best horse you've ever had. But then financially, someone comes along and offers you a great deal of money for the horse, which changes things. You know, you think, well, maybe I could get my own property. Maybe I could pay for a team again. Maybe I could bring on some young horses. It's a difficult decision if you're training and training top horses about selling them. I'd call it difficult as it's, it's it's sad sometimes when that decision has to be made because that's what you thrive for. And it came to me the same when I sold Mickey Mouse. That was a massive decision for me mm. because mm. not only had I had the horse since he was 12 months old, he was a horse that I knew could keep taking me somewhere I wanted to be and what you work for. But if you really in the industry because you love horses and that wants to be your life of training horses and producing horses, then producing one to that level and it giving you the funds to be able to sustain your rest of your life to stay in that industry and do what you love, mm-hmm. then that's why you make the decision to sell. Okay. Okay. So to stay in the industry, to excel within the horse industry, what do you think the keys are to excelling in the industry so that you're mastering and becoming, you're dominating everyone else? What do you think the keys are there? Never stop learning. I mean, every horse that I get, I learn something. Every book I pick up, I learn something. I love listening to other masters in the industry. No, I don't think that you ever stop learning. Mm -hmm. And I think if you have that attitude, and it's not just because you're forcing yourself to learn, it's actually exciting. It's exciting Mm -hmm. to see what the next horse teaches you and what the next book can teach you. So I find the sport to me still exciting because I feel like I've just got so much more to learn. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. that's what allows you to walk out there and teach people because even each student teaches you something. Yes, yes. Okay. And you've learned from a lot of top coaches. Who do you think, or just tell me some people that have influenced you to learn more. And it's not just learning more, it's keeping the passion alive. It's keeping so that it is exciting, that you do want to keep learning. Who's helped you along the way? I think. Um, Art Utendale in my early days when I was younger, mm-hmm. I spent hours with him on the flat work yep. and lots of ever-increasing circles with Art. Mm-hmm. And then when I was about 18, George Sanna came into my life yep. and I'd say George would have been sort of my biggest influence as a coach. Mm-hmm. He's a perfectionist. He's a master at what he does and he still plays a big role in my life now, mm-hmm. always does in many ways. Um, if there's someone I want to turn to to ask questions in the horse industry, it would be George. Okay. George Morris stepped into my life 25 years ago and he also played a, a massive role. And, again, when I was in Arkan three years ago with Amy Graham and I was coaching Amy Graham, I rang George and asked him to come over and have a look at Amy, mm-hmm. um, give me some thoughts. So he's always there if I need him or want to ask him about anything and I enjoy, I enjoy his time when he comes to this country. Mm-hmm. And I was very fortunate that I decided it was a good decision. I decided I was intrigued by dressage. So I bought a three-year-old from Heath Ryan Mm -hmm. and I decided to have three lessons a week from Mary Hannah for about five years. And Mary Hannah was fantastic and she was had a great way of bringing the dressage to me within the knowledge she knew that I had as a show jumper. Okay, yep. So they were fantastic, those coaches, those four. All right. What about horses? 
horses. <laughs> <laughs> You've had quite a few, but tell I've us. I've had how. a lot of horses. You've already talked about Mickey Mouse. Yep. Yes, he'd probably be the the most special one in my mind. Yep. Because I had a long journey with him. And and the the name Mickey Mouse. Have you got a story about that? <laughs> Not really. I always had very strange names. <laughs> okay. He used to just stand in the paddock when he was 12 months old all by himself looking very cheeky and so he just suited Mickey Mouse. Okay. And so we had a lot of souvenir horses. We used to buy them as 12 months old. So they were quite a difficult temperament. So they all taught me something. Uh And I had another wonderful mare called Anushka, which I sold overseas. She went to World Cup level. Another super horse called T and he was a thoroughbred. So he also went to World Cup level. They've all been sold internationally, those three. Yep. I mean, Mickey was sold to Vicky. Yep. And then I had a wonderful Grosvenor horse, a black horse, that also got sold, that had jumped up to World Cup level. And then I was lucky enough to ride that lovely horse, Scandal. So I used to train that for the Wagners. Mm-hmm. And um, she became an international horse. So I've had many horses come through my hands. And I can't, other than Mickey standing out, I'd say... Every horse has influenced my ride. Mm-hmm. So I've been, again, lucky that way to have had so many. Okay. What, what do you think is the proudest moment? <laughs> it's an interesting question, that one. I don't – look, I think if I'd probably gone on to Olympic Games and won a gold medal, you might would say that probably be the, would be a very proud thing to do. But that's not what I did because I made choices that I would sell the horses. And – So the way I look at my proudest moment is when I'm sitting on a horse and that horse works so well for me or my students watching Amy Graham arrive at the World Championships and Georgia Price just won the New South Wales Junior titles. I mean, just seeing that is proud. So I don't have one proud moment. I have many proud moments Mm. and that's what inspires me. And not just competition moments, but moments when you're training and coaching. Yeah, that is, yep. that's what I find what's more exciting for me. I mean, it's beautiful to win a class. It's wonderful. Mm. But mm. it's all the moments that lead up to that class is where you're feeling the best. Yeah. You teach a lot of riders. What do you think is a common problem that you'd like to talk about and how to correct that? You know, just something to give the listeners a tip that they can – have some additional knowledge there. You know, they're listening to get extra knowledge to help them train their horses. What do you think is a common problem that they could help? I think the most common problem that I see is people don't understand the horse. Mm -hmm. It's not a tennis racket. It doesn't work the same as most other sports. I think people have to start to understand and read how the horse's body works and how the horse can give them what they want because they expect so much from a horse but the horse has no understanding of what they're talking about. And to actually understand, try and understand a horse's mind. I mean, people say to me, you know, I would like this horse to collect. And if I ask them, what do you expect it to do with its body? They said, oh, we'll just squash up. <laughs> I mean, yep. They, yep. if they just spend the time and learn how a horse's body works and that way that the horse will start to work with you a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory with practical components that can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Thanks. So you've got green riders, you know, people who are just learning a bit of balance, coordination, but don't have 
any sort of contact connection? How can you teach them? Or what, what do you use to teach them to use their aids a little more correctly to some exercises to go forward to develop that contact and the connection? Well, connection is, you know, I often say to people, teaching writing is a little bit like doing a jigsaw. There's an outside mm-hmm. where you do the outside first and you come into the centre with the complexities of writing, which is connection. Yep. So that's, that's a good explanation, actually, yeah. So you've got to get the outside of the jigsaw done first. And, yes. and I mean, one of that is obviously the awareness of position, but to know how to use aids, again, you have to understand what the horse's four corners are doing. That's what I spend a lot of time trying to teach people, to understand where the horse's four corners are, like the front two legs, the back two legs. Mm-hmm. Not about pulling the head in or trying to force the horse into connection. Mm-hmm. It's actually understanding what the aid is doing to the horse. Because your leg has no meaning unless you understand what you're trying to do with it. Yes. Yep. And if you don't understand yep. where the horse's legs are mm-hmm. putting or how fast they're going or how fast they should go or what beat the horse should be travelling at. Yep, yep. You know? So if you have no understanding of that, then your aids are actually irrelevant. Mm-hmm. So I try and I think, again, what I was talking about before, people understand to learn the German scale of training, to understand what pace and what step and footfall the horse should be travelling at and mm-hmm. count it and learn how to ride a straight line with four legs going in one direction and how to achieve that. So to come back to those basic exercises of turn on the forehands, turn on the haunches, making the horse step two sides to the left, step Mm -hmm. two sides to the right and feel what you're doing with the horse's body. And I think as most people get caught on circle after circle, but a circle is a very complex thing to do. Mm. Okay, that's good. I like the way that you talked about the jigsaw and talked about the outside first because if you keep filling in the outside, eventually you get to the middle anyway. But Absolutely. you just got to keep filling out the outside. Yeah. Yes, yeah. because the middle is getting better at the basics. Yep, yep. If you get better at the basics, the middle will be a lot easier. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Off the track thoroughbreds for people that get, you know, in Australia we do have a lot of thoroughbred horses and not everyone can afford a warm blood, you know. There's still a big price difference between warm bloods and thoroughbreds and a lot of people end up with a thoroughbred and they want to show jump and thoroughbreds can be athletic. What hints or what would you say are the difference between an off-the-track thoroughbred and what what hints can you give them? A tip, something to work on, look towards? Look, I think... um, It's a big question, you know. (laughs) The thoroughbred thoroughbred is still a wonderful horse Mm. and there's no reason you can't develop a thoroughbred. Mm Mm-hmm. And there definitely is a massive price difference between a thoroughbred and buying a young warm blood. Mm. I think that really with buying a thoroughbred, you have to look for similar qualities that you would as a warm blood, that they have a natural canter that you would definitely see would be a canter that's a jumping canter, but also that a lot of them have their mouths have been a little bit destroyed. Mm-hmm. So I think that if you have the opportunity to have a thoroughbred, then you that needs to be a strong criteria that when you ride it, you feel like it has a workable bridle because a thoroughbred has a lot of blood and when you have a lot of energy, blood is like energy, if you have a lot of energy, it's only going to go to one place, it goes into your hand. And if you have a thoroughbred with a difficult mouth, then you are creating a very difficult problem for yourself mm, mm. because that's why you see them running sideways because – they go to go forward in the bridle, they don't like the bridle, and that creates a whole other level of problems. So if you can get a thoroughbred with a lovely canter, and it can be sensitive, but as long as it's got a, a nice 
bridle on it that it hasn't had a mouth that's been destroyed, then you can produce them into very, very nice horses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely still a way to go. Yes, yes. I've sort of got a question here about the young riders, but really, you know, you get young riders that just want to ride faster, jump higher, and, you know, we're focusing on improving between the jumps. Are you going back to the jigsaw then about people working on the basics or you want to in- – in- Totally. In- is there anything else that you'd like to say to riders about working between the jumps? Yeah, look, I think there seems to be – when I do clinics, there seems to be the subject of – I need to do more dressage because that will help my jumping. And then the younger riders said, but I don't want to ride a dressage test. I don't want to do dressage. What I discovered is if you can mentally combine the type of flat work that these young jumping riders are doing on the flat to show them how it will improve and influence the quality of the jump for the horse and to help them win classes in a better manner, then it makes sense to them and then they get excited and they want to do the flat work because Mm -hmm. they can see that the two are pairing up. Yes. So I think that is what makes a massive difference. And once they feel that and they feel how they can ride a better fence and they have more influence over the horses between the fences, which ultimately will give them a better fence and win more competitions, Mm -hmm. then they get excited. Then they want to do flat work because they see the, the two come together. Yeah. So I don't like people seeing it as two separate things. I don't like teaching it as two separate things. Yep. Yep. I like it to become as a pair. It's got to be done because it's influencing and helping the show jumping. Yes, that would make a lot of sense and make a lot of sense to a rider that it gives them then the motivation to keep working on it because it's going to influence the quality of the jumping. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Okay. When you first left school, You know, you're in a situation where you're riding and training a lot of horses. Um, When did you start coaching? Was that straight away? Was it a bit further down the track? How did that work out? No, I never thought I'd be a coach. Um, (laughs) You were doing all right. You've got some good young riders coming on. Yeah. Yeah. No, it wasn't something that I actually, when I first started riding, it was not something I really thought of until I was about 27 or 28. Mm -hmm. And then I sort of dabbled a little bit and then didn't really do a lot of it, take it that serious. And then we bought the Victorian Equestrian Centre and suddenly there was a lot of students. Yes, yes. (laughs) And then, yes, and then I started coaching then. I think I was pretty green about it because you're coming in as a rider. Yep. And it was very easy then to say, oh, look, just hop off, I'll get on. Mm, And because you find it difficult to explain what you do. Yep. So I think that in the beginning – I, I started enjoying it, but I would often get on and ride the horse and then they would get back on. <laughs> yep. So I think over time now I feel quite proud, if you ask for proud moments, mm, that mm. I can most times watch and see and then be able to describe exactly what's going on. Mm, you know, mm. it's only at the really highest level of me just wanting to feel a horse's mouth, a contact, if I can see something's you know, I've got a very good rider on with very good feel, and I just said, look, let me have a feel of its mouth Yep. and let me just have a feel of its body. Mm. You know, it's more that that I just want to feel how its mind is reacting to what I'm doing Yep. that I could then influence a person. But mm. on classical riding, then you don't need to get on anymore because you've just taught so much. Mm. 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 Yeah, so I was led into it that way, yep. coaching really. Mm. Well, a lot of riders – they sort of think that everything's going to go well if only they could get the sponsor. Can you speak a little bit about sponsorship and how to get sponsorship if it is possible 
or what the rider actually has to give the sponsor? Or, or are there sponsors around that magically come along and just drop millions of dollars on completely unknown riders? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about it. The answer about that is no. <laughs> there is not. Our sponsors are very difficult to find because, you know, when you take on a sponsor, you have an obligation to help them get something out of it. Mm. And because we don't have TV coverage and because it's not a sport that's highly publicised into the public, what do they get out of it? Mm. So you have feed companies because that is, you know, if people can get the whole equestrian industry to buy their food, feed, well, that's a benefit to them. I've always been very fortunate and I've been sponsored by High Gain mm. for many, many years and they've been a wonderful company for me. And, I, you know, I try my best to represent them and to promote them. But I think sponsorship in this country is a very hard thing to get. And I think the young riders out there, the way that they can get sponsorship is they've got to present themselves in a manner that someone would want to sponsor them. So they must stand out. So if their horses are travelling beautiful, if the horses turned out beautiful and they stand out and these people represent themselves with good manners, I think – They have a chance of people saying, I'd like to help that young rider. It's more they want to help that young rider than actually get a lot out of the sponsorship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think people are out there, you know, that um, Horseware are very good. Horseware have sponsored myself as well. Mm -hmm. And they're really out there helping young riders, you know. So I think, you know, we don't have that TV coverage to get the big sponsors. All right. Michelle, how many horses do you have in work at the moment? Um, at the moment, I've got three that I have. I don't take horses in training anymore because yep. I spend too much time travelling. I have Jacob Wells riding the horses for me. I've taught Jacob since he was about 11 years old, yep. and he rides those three horses for me. He's had two of them at the moment at Canberra Horse Show. They're in, two of them are in partnership with Yalambi Stud. Mm-hmm. I've had quite a bit to do with Rory at Yalambi, which is an amazing stud, and Rory is, uh, runs it very well and he's very good to deal with and he's a very good rider himself. So I actually go to Perth to, to teach him as well. Mm-hmm. So we've just bought a third one, I'm another four-year-old, a Yalambi baby. Okay. So, um, yep. Yep. Yeah, so they're quite exciting and it's exciting again yep. helping Jacob because he works very, very hard and he puts everything into it. Yeah, I was just going to ask what qualities Jacob had to be in the position to, for oh. you to help him. So. Yeah, you've just said it, though, about him working hard. Yeah. Oh, extremely hard worker. Yeah. It's never yeah. a question. Yeah. And he never complains. Yeah. Never, ever complains. Yeah. And so he is a natural talent, mm-hmm. but he's also seriously good student. He wants to learn. He never stops wanting to improve. Mm. He loves the art of riding as well as winning. Yes. Which is quite a very good combination because he's very competitive, yet he loves the detail of teaching these horses to travel well. Yes. So I think that's a rare quality in him. I think it's fantastic. And he presents beautiful, his manners are great, and, you know, he just deserves the help. I think what you've just described, though, if someone's, you know, thinking about being a rider, they're the sort of qualities. It's not just about being a brilliant rider, but it is about working hard, being polite, attention to detail, and those sorts of things as well. Totally. It mm. is a package mm. that people say, 
and especially if you're a horse lover and you're enthusiastic in the sport mm. and there's a lot of people coming into the sport they're in the corporate world they didn't ride when they're younger but love horses want to be part of the sport and if they can be involved with riders that have that attitude well mm. they want to yep you know so yeah. that's what's going to allow young riders to get well sponsorship as you talked about yes yes mm. Okay, good. Michelle, have you got a book that you'd recommend for our listeners? Look, I could say it's a really good book for everybody. We're from beginners to more experienced in the show jumping world is the George Morris book. Yes. And the William Steinkraus book. They're the two that I would say are really good books because they're they're written in a way that's very easy to understand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they give really good basics, classical basics that have been around for hundreds of years. And they're both very similar in books, but just coming across in different ways because they're two different personalities. Okay. Bill Steinkraus to George. And there's a, a dressage book that I was recommended a long time ago called from a dressage writer called Charles D. Knuffy. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I like his philosophies in the horse's mind and the way the horse's body works. I think he has a lot to offer. Okay. In that side of things. So yeah, I think yep. they're good books. Good. Good. We'll put those details up on the on the website. It'll be horsechats.com/shellstrap. All right. Now, what does your future hold? What do you plan to be doing now? Enjoy myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big vote for that one. Um, Look, I'm very fortunate to have the most amazing partner, and he's actually non-horsey. He's a lawyer, but he's loving the horses. So he's also sharing the journey with me and producing horses. It's something that I wanted to get back into. Mm -hmm. So that will be a goal of producing these horses and obviously to keep coaching and to keep improving. in what I do as a coach and I think that if I can help in a way of influencing horses to travel better as show jumpers and young riders to learn Mm -hmm. knowledge about producing horses you know that's still going to be my focus for a long long time I don't think it's something I'm going to walk away from yeah so yeah yeah. all right Michelle you've included so much you've you've sort of taught so much in your lesson today it's been very (laughs) in you know it's been very good Can you sum up your philosophy into a lesson today, just to sum up before we finish? Look, I think that it was probably I have already covered it, but I think it's my philosophy is riding a horse is not a one-sided arrangement, Mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. And I think that you need to understand the mind and what you're expecting from your horse on a daily basis. And the horse has not read the equestrian book. It has no idea what you are talking about mm-hmm. at all, mm-hmm. okay? And I I see it and I see it all the time where people really expect the horse to understand what they're saying and they have no idea. They're actually just creatures that need to be taught with repetitive training, like a dog is taught to sit. Mm-hmm. And people have to understand that. They would have so much more success with their horses if they could just understand that. Okay. Michelle, how can people contact you? Ah, my website. Okay. They can go there, yep. message Facebook. Okay, now your website is michellestrap.com. Dot com. And the yes. other thing is Michelle Strap, it's got two Ps. So M-I-C-H-E-W-L-E-S-T-R-A-P-P.com. Yes. And also to listen to this interview and to get the show notes, it's on horsechats.com slash Michelle Strap with the two Ps. Yep. 
Yeah. All right. Facebook. And I think is that Michelle Strap Equestrian? Correct. Yep. Yeah. All right. So we'll put those links on that page as well. Brilliant. All right. Thanks very much for talking to us today, Michelle. It's been very educational. Your guidance has been brilliant. And thank you. Bye. Pleasure. Thank you. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 